Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you, church family. Well, the world can be a tough place. The world we live in, the culture, our society, all that swirls around us, it can be a tough place. And uh, it can be difficult on believers. Uh, Our culture has a tendency to attempt to impose values that are different than those of us that are followers of Jesus. Is that your experience? So perhaps you relate then to one of these ways of responding. If the world can be a difficult place, if, if, if our culture can be hard on believers in Jesus, what, maybe we relate to one or all of these at times ways that we respond to that. One option would certainly be to be angry about it, to be frustrated, to yell and scream and fight back, to, to determine that we are right, they are wrong, they are horrible people. They, whatever the they is, right? Or, or perhaps another response is to run away. Be much easier to just blend in, to try to slide under the, prof- under the radar. It might be much more comfortable for us to, to turn our heads the other way and just kind of let things slide. Or of course... Perhaps there's a better option. Perhaps there's the option we know is there. Perhaps there's the option we want to live into. And that being to trust that in all that we see going on, to trust that God is present, that he is at work, even in the stuff we don't understand, that he is at work, that he knows what he's doing. And because of that, might that give us an opportunity to stand firm in who we are, who we believe in, what he has given us to do, that's an opportunity for us to stand firm. And not only to stand firm where we are, but I think we have an opportunity as we respond to the culture swirling around us to be a blessing to the culture, to those around us, to our spheres of influence. So with that um, in mind, we're starting a new series today called Thriving in Babylon, and we're going to go through the Old Testament book of Daniel. So I'll talk more about that in a minute, about the series, Um, but why don't you turn there. If you have a Bible with you, find your way to Daniel chapter 1. Probably the easiest way would be to use your table of contents and find the book of Daniel toward the back of your Old Testament. The Old Testament is the big portion of your Bible at the front of your Bible. Uh, you're going to find Daniel kind of in the middle of your Bible. If, you're gonna, if you want to try the flip through your pages method, you're going to see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and if you keep going, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So somewhere, flip pages, find Daniel, use your table of contents, or use your device and open your Bible with me so you can follow along at uh, Daniel chapter 1 in a moment. So by the way, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. And if you are um, wondering where the sharply dressed gentleman from last Sunday went, it was a bait and switch. It was just a cruel trick. (laughs) Same guy, much different appearance. Okay, so uh, before we get into the scripture, before we get into the passage, let me start with some historical background so that we can find ourselves uh, when we get to these verses in Daniel, where are we in the grand scheme of God's work in the world? Um, let's get a, a quick 
historical background, a quick idea of where we are in biblical history. Um, For a long time in the history of God's people, God's people did not have a human king because God intended for who to be their king? For for himself, for God to be their king. So for a long time in the history of God's people, there was no human king. But as humans do, humans kind of wanted to be like everybody else around them. Humans wanted to fit in. So God's people said, why can't we have a king? And, uh, and eventually God chose to work in that fashion to allow God's people to have a human king. And the first king of God's people was Saul. Uh, that didn't go so great. Along came David. David, according to the scriptures, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And yet we also know that David was far from a perfect person, falling short of God's best for his life. David was followed by his son Solomon. Solomon was widely known, worldwide known as the wisest of all. But he too went his own ways, chose his own ways, didn't live up to the standards that God was asking of his people. And so after Solomon's death, there was, there was some division and some, and some things happening and some disagreements, and there was a revolt among God's people, and it left a divided kingdom. Instead of uh, the, God's people Israel, we come to the part in, in Bible history where there was a divided kingdom. Uh, and, and so out of the 12 tribes that had made up Israel, 10 of those tribes became Israel, or stayed being Israel, and two of those tribes became known as Judah in these two separate uh, countries, basically, a divided kingdom. And eventually, though, Israel fell in battle, and, and Israel, the God's people were carried off to Assyria. And then about a hundred years later, and that's where we're going to find ourselves in Daniel, about a hundred years later in 600 BC, the, the, the kingdom known as Judah, uh, around 600 BC, was besieged by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, and God's people Judah were taken into exile. So we have the split kingdom And both kingdoms eventually fall and are carried off into exile. Why? If these are God's people, why? Well, this is God's discipline for the stubborn disobedience and disloyalty of his people. And yet, we know that God promises to bring life to the world through his people. So, So while these difficulties are going on, while the kingdom has divided, while both kingdoms have been carried off into exile, way back there somewhere, way underneath all that, we've got to know that God is a God of of fulfilling his promises. So that sets the stage for our passage, where we're going to be in God's word today. And, uh, And we've called this series through Daniel, or we're actually going to teach only about the first half of Daniel, the historical account uh, in the book of Daniel. And we called this series Thriving in Babylon because we want to take a look at the lives of Daniel and his friends and ask ourselves, how were they able to thrive in Babylon? How were they able to, uh, even in the midst of these horrible circumstances that, that we wouldn't pick for ourselves, that we don't understand why God has divided the kingdom and carried off people into exile, 
How do Daniel and his friends still find a way to thrive and to serve God? And so before we see how they thrive, I want to spend the next few minutes just getting on the same page as, as we start this series. I want to get us all on the same page of just how bad Babylon was and just how bad King Nebuchadnezzar was because we want to see what Daniel and his friends were dealing with in order to see how they were able to thrive in Babylon, how they were able to serve God in a godless culture. So these uh, three areas that are going to describe how bad Babylon is are adapted from multiple sources as I studied this week, and, and one of those being a book by this name, Thriving in Babylon. So I want to give credit there. The first area we're going to take a look at is uh, Daniel and his friends were dealing with a godless king. So let's start into the passage. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is one of the kingdoms of God's people, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the vessels, some of the sacred items from the house of God, from the temple. And he brought them, and Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed these vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay, we are dealing with a godless king, a, God, a king who has just taken these holy and sacred items from God's people, and his, his taking them from God's people and putting them into the temple of his demonic god, Marduk. This was Nebi's way, Nebi's, it's easier to say. <laughs> this is Nebi's way of, of mocking God's people and, and mocking God himself. So not only does Nebuchadnezzar come and besiege Jerusalem and invade and take over and carry off people into exile, but he's taking these things from God's temple, from the temple of the true God, and put them in the, the temple of his God. And as we continue to study Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this story about Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, in the coming weeks, we'll continue to hear more about Nebuchadnezzar, egomaniacal, ego. He, he, yeah, something like that. He's an egomaniac, hot-headed, murderous, unreasonable, cruel, vain. So the examples that will be coming up as we study in the coming weeks, the examples that are coming up of what kind of king we're dealing with is a guy who builds a 90-foot statue of himself and orders it to be worshipped or you're dead. What else is an example that's coming up in the next few weeks of the kind of king we're dealing with? He expected his advisors to interpret his dreams, but he didn't tell them what their dreams were. He didn't tell them about his dreams. He expected them to interpret his dreams or be killed. This is the kind of king we are dealing with. So what does it look like when faced with a godless king to thrive in Babylon? How do Daniel and his friends, God's people, under this kind of a king, manage to thrive in Babylon? 
And that's what we want to ask God to show us as we continue through the series and we see how Daniel and his friends respond in some of these situations that we just described. How do we, what is our response when we deal, when we find ourselves under godless leaders? What's our perspective? Of, we need a perspective change here, I think. What's our perspective when we find ourselves in that situation? What is our approach to that situation? Do we spend all of our time and energy, uh, you know, concerned about, about our leaders? Do we spend all of our time and energy ranting about this or that or complaining about what we're happening? Do we put time and energy into riling others up to agree with us and go against these leaders? Or... What do we see from Daniel and friends? What do we think God is calling us to? Or might we consider how God wants to serve and love even these difficult people? How might God want to serve or love through us? The other thing we're dealing with, the other thing Daniel and his friends are dealing with is a godless educational system. Let's keep reading in our passage. Verse 3. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish. When Daniel, we, we believe that when Daniel and his friends were carried off into exile, when King Nebuchadnezzar brought them into his service, that they would have been teenagers, perhaps mid middle or even youngish teenagers. The king commanded that, they, that these youths without blemish of good appearance, I'm in verse four, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. He commanded that they be brought in so that they could be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. See, I think what, was, what, what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring in the best of the best of God's people, and it's going to benefit me, it's going to benefit Babylon, and at the same time, I'm going to strip down the leadership and the, the capabilities of God's people. So I'm, I'm, I'm elev- his, his desire, his hope is to elevate Babylon and knock down God's people. And here's what I want us to watch for as we, in, in today and in weeks ahead as we see how the story unfolds, what God actually has in mind is to care for his people by blessing Babylon. The way that God is going to fulfill his promises and continue to care for his people and bring them through is actually going to be to be a blessing through his people to this godless king, this godless culture, with this godless education system. Verse 5 says, The king assigned uh, the youths a daily portion of food that the king ate uh, and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And they would become, after this time they would, uh, of, of training, of education, they would be brought into service of King Nebuchadnezzar. So what's going on with this educational system? What, what is this plan that Nebuchadnezzar has to bring up these youths up to speed, so to speak, up to Babylonian culture. Well, demonic influence was everywhere in Babylon. Government-sanctioned religion was satanic. 
And, and therefore, a core aspect of the educational system uh, was astrological, studying the stars, uh, determining uh, omens by the astrology, uh, and more occultic practices. And so uh, we may get frustrated at times with the educational system that we deal with, but I, it has not gone that far. But what we do relate to, perhaps, like Daniel and friends, are experiencing powerful people repeating messages, repeating topics, repeating agenda, repeating, repeating, saying it, hearing it, writing it. What we do experience is powerful people, repeated messengers, repeated messages with a hope to change our thinking. That's what the effort was here with Daniel and friends as they got carried off into exile and King Nebuchadnezzar wants to bring them into service. Uh, his hope is to change their thinking and we uh, can experience that at times as well if we're paying attention. So how do we thrive in Babylon? How did David and friends thrive in Babylon even with these powerful people and repeated messages and desire to change their thinking? And what is our perspective? If we experience that in our lives, uh, ideas swirling around us, pressure to think differently, pressure to adopt other practices outside of what God has shown us, what is our perspective of that? Are, are we overwhelmed? Uh, are, are we overwhelmed by all this information and all the people and, and all the pressure to, to conform? And so, man, I think it just, I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. So I think it'd just be easier to conform. I think it'd be easier to fall in line. I think it would be easier to just blend in to the world around me and, and not make a scene. Or, as we follow Daniel and friends' example, and as we ask God how to work in and through us, in our lives, in our spheres of influence, in our time and day, with God's help, can we resist, live like Daniel and stand firm knowing who we follow and what he has given us to do and what we believe? So Daniel and friends, we're dealing with a godless king, a godless educational system, and now as we continue the passage, we'll see that they also are dealing with a spiritually hostile environment. Verse 6. Among these, among these youths that Nebuchadnezzar brought in to be trained, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel... He called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. What's all this about? Check this out. In Nebuchadnezzar's efforts to assimilate these youths into the Babylonian culture, in, in Nebi's efforts to indoctrinate them into uh, Babylonian culture and religion, in, in order to do that, 
Nebi's effort here is to completely destroy, annihilate in these young people anything resembling their culture, their religion, their upbringing. His, his efforts in his educational system in this spiritually hostile environment is to eradicate anything in these young people that tie them to their heritage with God's people. How does he try to do that? Well, we've already seen in the passage he attempts satanic education as, as you know, three years of training, education in, in, in the best that secular education could offer in the Babylonian culture. He attempts to use that. We've already seen in the passage um, uh, that he even imposes their diet. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this, this, uh, this whole food thing next Sunday. But he attempts to impose their diet, Potentially, the reason for that was to make them dependent on the king and his court, so dependent on the king because of their food intake. And what else did we just read as another way that Nebuchadnezzar attempts to indoctrinate them is he gives them new names. Um, perhaps many of us, how many of you relate to the significance of a name? Many of you have, know the significance of your name, whether it's biblical origin or it's a family name and so it's meaningful in that point way, or you know the root of the language of that name and so you know kind of what the definition of your name is and that's become significant. We know many of us relate to knowing the significance of names and here Nebuchadnezzar's efforts to eradicate their cultural and, and religious identity gives them new names. What's he trying to do? They remove the names from these youths that are associated with the one true God. The, these four young men had names related to the true God. They removed those names and gave them names that identify with Babylonian false gods. The new name given to Daniel would be the equivalent of being named Christian and having your name taken and given the name Satan's prince. That's what, that's what this effort of renaming was. So this is, the this is the situation that Daniel and friends found themselves in, a godless king a godless education system, a spiritually hostile environment, a spiritually hostile environment that we probably, we too can relate to. We too probably at times in our day and age can experience uh, pressure to change our worship or actually maybe we experience pressure to not worship, to worship at the altar of, of secular uh, values. Uh, so certainly we may relate to this idea as well of being pressured to change our worship. When God is taken out of schools, when God is removed from public life, when our view of God as creator of all things is rejected as acceptable in our society, when our faith can be discredited, um, if we don't conform to secular values, if, if our God-given God called for values don't agree with what the, the culture has decided is important or relevant. Uh, we can be discredited. Our faith can be uh, demeaned. If, we are, if, if that's the situation Daniel and friends found themselves in, and that's the situation we can find ourselves in at times, how do we then thrive in Babylon? 
And again, I think it's a perspective change that we need. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach. It's a change in our approach. It's, we could focus, we could put all of our time and energy and our focus into how the culture is trying to affect me. We could, we could spend a bunch of time and energy and argument and getting mad and getting frustrated and, and, and calling people out because we want to be, be, we want to fight against how the society is trying to harm us. Or did Daniel and friends put their time and energy into looking to God and asking how God might want to impact that culture for his glory? How did God want to use Daniel and his friends to make a difference? How did Daniel and friends thrive in Babylon, living for God in the midst of a godless world? That's what we want to see as we study the story of Daniel, and we want to ask God to help us with that. So, in conclusion, not really, not really in conclusion, don't get excited, I'm not done yet. In conclusion for this part, Babylon is a bad place. Nebuchadnezzar is an evil dude. And there was a lot stacked up against God's people that were taken into Babylon in exile. And our world can be a godless place too. Godless leaders, godless educational system, spiritually hostile environment. Church family, there are some difficulties with following Jesus in 2023 in the United States of America. But Daniel had it worse. I think we tend to get ourselves all riled up about how bad things are. They've never been this bad. And then what you got to do is study the Bible and study history. And I think as we begin to see what other people in other eras, what other believers in other places in the world have experienced, this is nothing new. It's not new to find ourselves in an anti-God culture. It's not new to find ourselves in situations where it is difficult to be a Christian. This isn't any worse than it's ever been since the fall of, of humanity, since the entrance of sin into the world, since the brokenness became a thing and things were not the way that God originally set them out to be. That said, I don't think it's much of a stretch um, to, to say that we too, at least in some ways, uh, are living in exile. Or maybe it's better for me to say it this way. I don't think it's a stretch for us to say we at least relate to what it's like to live in exile. The Bible tells us uh, that as followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, this is not our true home. We know as God's people, as those who have surrendered their lives to Christ and been saved by God's rescuing plan through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we know that our true home is with God. We know that our eventual permanent home will be in his presence, in, in the new heavens and the new earth, in heaven. We know that, we know that this is true, that, uh, that our citizenship is in heaven, that this, our world, our earthly experience is not our true home. 
And that's exciting, right? That, that needs to give us hope. We do have that to look forward to. But also, what's also true, that is absolutely true. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our true home. And yet, what is also true? What is also true is, this is where we're at. This is home. It might be temporary home, but we need to make it home as long as it's home until we get home. Are you with me? This is where we're at. And is it by accident? Nope. It's where God's got you. Dallas, Oregon, United States of America, world, globe, earth, this solar system, 2023, it's, it's where he's got you. This is where we're at. So how did Daniel and friends deal with this situation? That was where they were at, carried off into exile under an evil king in a godless culture trying to impose its values on them. That was life, and it wasn't by accident. It wasn't that things had spun out of God's control. That was where God had them. So how did they handle it? They could have hunkered down in Babylon and tried to slide under the radar and just survive in Babylon. Maybe if we just, if we just blend in enough, maybe if I can just get by, maybe God will show up and rescue us and put things back the way they're supposed to be. Daniel and his friends could have hunkered down, tried to just survive, but instead what we're going to see as we follow the story of Daniel and friends is that they are intentional to pursue God. That they don't just try to bide their time and let things slide by and, and wait for the end. They go, this is where I'm at. God's got me here for a reason. What do you want to do, Lord? How do I live intentionally? How do I live with, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for your purposes in this world? So what about us? Um, what about us? Do we sometimes fear that, that our, how, how should I say this? Do we sometimes fear that God might not be as big as our Babylon? We look around at our Babylon, the evil, the godless influences, the things swirling, and do we sometimes fear that God's not as big as our Babylon? And if that's the case, if we allow ourselves to believe that, then what are our responses? Fight or flight. You may have heard of these responses that are sometimes deeply built in. And I think these instincts might come out if we're, it, it, without God's transforming work in our life. We might want to just fight against the godless culture. Uh, scream and yell and complain and, and talk about how right we are and wrong they are. That's one option is to fight the godless culture as if God gave us the responsibility of beating back the Babylonian empire. Or... Um, or do we, uh, uh, that was fight, or flight. Run away, stick our heads in the sand, pretend it's not happening, avoid the pain that might come with honoring God by being different for God. Some of our reactions sometimes is to fight the godless culture, to put all our energy into beating back the, the God, as if it's spun out of God's hands. Sometimes we we. We run and hide and hope it goes away. So, yes, our citizenship is in heaven, but we are being asked to live in Babylon. Babylon. 
citizenship is in heaven, but here's where we find ourselves. Here's where we live. Here's where God has called us to. In John 17, Jesus prays and says, as God sent me into the world, I send you. I send my followers into the world. So this is where we are. Instead of being frustrated, let's recognize that we have been sent by Jesus into the world. Not to hide from the world, not not to just survive and get through until it's over, but Jesus has sent us into the world to make a difference in the world, and he's with us. He's enabling us. He's empowering us to do so. And what has he sent us into the world to do? To join in God's mission to the world. The great God of the universe loves and wants to offer grace and wants to offer forgiveness and wants to bring people into his family. And we, followers of Jesus, have been invited into that mission. As Jesus was sent into the world, Jesus sends you into your world, into your spheres of influence, into your relationships and your places of being so that he can love people through you, so that he can proclaim the good news of Jesus through you. So we are sent on a mission into the world to be conduits of God's love and proclaimers of the spectacular gospel good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what you have been sent for. That's why you are where you are in the time you are. It's not an accident. Things have not spun out of God's hands. So how do we thrive in Babylon? Instead of focusing on how the culture is trying to impose on us, instead of us being so concerned with what the culture is is trying to impose on us, let's ask, how does God want to serve and love and save the world by being a blessing to the world through us? Because I think we're going to see that's what Daniel and friends do, is live for God in the midst of a godless world. And we want to see how we can do that too. So what kept Daniel going? Here's where we're going to wrap up. What kept Daniel going? What might keep us going? Let's look back at the first two verses again. Daniel 1, verses 1 and 2. And let's see what God wants to show us that we might cling to, where we might find hope in the midst of all this swirling difficulty. Verses 1 and 2 again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, God's people, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who we now know something about, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And look at the beginning of verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Wait a second. This is a bad thing on the surface, right? On the surface, this is the king of God's people being given over to this evil, godless king. But the beginning of the verse said what? It's on the screen. And the beginning of the verse said what? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim over. So why does this offer us hope? Because Daniel In writing this story, at least in retrospect, Daniel, writing this down for us to study in our Bibles, Daniel sees God's hand in these historical events. Do you see that? Daniel sees God's hand at work, even in these horrific circumstances. Because Daniel knows that God is in control over who is in control. 
In today's passage, as we read about God's people being overthrown, besieged, carried off into exile, it's not Nebuchadnezzar who was the one turning the wheels of, of, the, of, of fate. It was our God who was turning the wheels of history. It's, not, it's God who is ultimately the one in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar. It's God who moves kings and sets up kings and takes down kings and puts new kings into place. And that ought to be a big comfort to us. That it's God who is in control of who is in control. And then therefore, if we know that to be true, what is Daniel's response then to living in these kind of circumstances? God's people are split into a divided kingdom, carried off into exile. These are circumstances that they're dealing with, this evil and godless culture. And, and what's Daniel's response? As we continue to see what Daniel does and responds in the, in the next few verses and, and chapters, Daniel's response to wickedness, to evil, doesn't make any sense um, unless we know that he knows that God is present with him, that God is good, that God is in control, even in the midst of all he's experiencing. Despite the fact that God's people have been displaced and they find themselves in these dire circumstances, Daniel's faith is not thrown off. We got to notice that. And we get to see more of it in the coming weeks as we study this series. No matter, even with all this stuff happening, even with all the evil and godlessness we described here for the last little bit, David, or Daniel's faith is not thrown off. He knows, he has hope, he knows he can trust God because he knows that God is in control of who is in control. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a chance to study your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for Daniel's writings that we can relate to 2,600 years later. Thank you, God, for teaching us through your word. And I pray that what we just said about Daniel would be true of us, that we would know you are present with us, that we would know your power, that we would know your sovereign control over all things, over the rise and fall of empires, over the, the rise and fall of kings, God, may we be comforted knowing that even as we experience difficulty, you are good and in control of who is in control. And so, God, I pray that as we rest in that, I pray that our faith uh, would not be thrown off by the things we experience, by an anti-God environment. God, that instead that you would remind us of your goodness, of your grace, of the fact that you have rescued us through Jesus. Father, you have us in Babylon, so to speak. Here we are in our time and day, and we want to thrive in Babylon. God, I want to learn to live for you right here where you have put me. So, Father, would you give us your perspective? Would you help us to see your work in the world? Would you help us to trust in your purposes? Would you help us to approach things less selfishly, less about what's good for us, less about the way we would handle things, and, and, and more about what you are doing? Would you help us to see what you are up to, that you are good, that you are in control, that we can trust you, and that you want to positively impact the world through us? So God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love demonstrated in that you sent your son to save us. 
As we move into a new week then, God, we, we want to just rest in knowing your goodness. We want to proclaim your goodness. We want to thank you for your goodness. As we move into a new week, saved through Christ into your family, teach us to thrive in Babylon. Teach us to live for you in all that we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.